Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Into the Burrow podcast here on TBR Media Network. My name is Jared, host of the Into the Burrow podcast, and we have got a great show for you today. Up on today's episode, we are going to be talking about all the changes that CEO Bob Iger is making over at Disney, basically rolling back some of the changes from the previous JPEG era. So we'll see how all that goes. HBO Max is setting its first price hike. We have some Ubisoft news that isn't good for developers, and Kevin Williamson says that Scream 6 is pretty good, after all. Uh, And then later in the episode, Ren is joining me to discuss all of the Golden Globe shenanigans, the full winners. We'll cover it all. We watched it live. We did some live reactions over on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed that, but we're going to kind of break down the full list of winners and kind of inform everyone on what that may mean for the Academy Awards coming up in March. All that and more on today's episode. So without further ado, why don't we get into the news? If you'd like to support our show, consider joining the crew by subscribing to our Patreon. Every dollar counts towards commission for our contributors and improving our network. Membership to our Patreon grants you different perks depending on what part of the crew you opt into. If you're someone who likes behind-the-scenes content, our director's crew has access to a close friends group on Instagram, as well as a special Discord server. Meanwhile, the producer crew is gifted discounted merch codes and exclusive video discussions, reviews, and vlogs. To the executive producers that go above and beyond, we send a little care package their way to say thanks. Whether you're looking to gain early access to video content or listen to our Patreon-exclusive podcast, Close Up, you can find it all on our Patreon page. Membership is a critical metric that we use to indicate the success of our network. We know that we can count on you for some support. Head over to patreon.com slash theboroughmedia to sign up. TBR Media is your movie refuge. And today's episodes come from NPR, The Hollywood Reporter, Variety, Kotaku, and Sci-Fi. Disney employees are set to be required to return to the office at least four days a week under the new CEO and old previous CEO, Bob Iger. Iger said, quote, As I've been meeting with teams throughout the company over the past few months, I've been reminded of the tremendous value in being together with the people that you work with. Disney announced in November that Iger would be stepping back into his role as CEO. He was first CEO from 2005 to 2020 and then served as an executive chairman and board chairman before retiring in December of 2021. Iger succeeded Bob Chapek, who resigned. Iger's email is the latest move in the ongoing discussion that employees and workers are having over whether it's the best place to work. Last June, Tesla CEO Elon Musk mandated that employees return to the office for at least 40 hours per week or face being let go. And those aren't the only changes that are occurring over at Disney. The company will now increase the number of days it offers its lowest price tickets in California, among other changes, effectively expanding lower-cost theme park options and perks. At Disneyland in California, the company will now increase the number of days it offers its lowest-priced one-day park ticket, 
at $104 a ticket and will allow greater flexibility for moving between the parks. At Walt Disney World in Florida, annual pass holders will now be able to visit the parks after 2 p.m. without having to make a reservation except on Saturdays and Sundays at the Magic Kingdom. Both parks are going to offer free digital downloads of photos to select guests, with Disneyland giving free downloads of ride photos to all ticketed guests, and Disney World offering them to guests who buy the Genie Plus, a $15 app, purchase, which gives guests the ability to skip lines. These changes come after Chapek, who had previously led the company's theme parks, had raised prices during his tenure and introduced the reservation system. Chapek, however, was contending with the pandemic-induced closure of the theme parks, which hurt the company's bottom line. Since Bob Iger returned to lead the company in November, he has already undone elements of the Chapek era, including reorganizing the Disney Media and Entertainment Distribution Division and parting ways with the head, Kareem Daniel. So you'll have to stay tuned right here on the Into the Burrow podcast as we unfold what is happening at Disney further. At another major media company, HBO Max has announced its first price hike, effective immediately. The increase comes amid Warner Brothers Discovery content removals from the streamer to save money and ahead of planned HBO Max Discovery Plus integration this spring. Effective Thursday, January 12th, the price of the new HBO Max No Ads monthly subscription in the U.S. will increase from $14.99 to $15.99. That's a nearly 7% increase. Existing HBO Max subscribers who are currently paying $14.99 a month will see their monthly rate increase to $15.99, effective their next billing cycle. The company said in a statement, quote, This price increase of $1 will allow us to continue to invest in providing even more culture-defining programming and improving our customer experience for all users. And in more crushing news for us fans of media and gaming and film and TV, Ubisoft delays Skull and Bones, cancels more games, and announces new cuts. Ubisoft held an emergency call with investors on Wednesday to reveal that the company's 2021 sales had fallen well below expectations and that it would be taking drastic measures going forward, including canceling three more unannounced games, delaying Skull and Bones a few months yet again, and cutting roughly $215 million in cost over the next two years, with some of the savings coming from a smaller headcount at the over 20,000-person publisher. Lots of publishers face game delays during the pandemic, of course, but Ubisoft was hit harder than most. Skull and Bones, Avatar, Frontiers of Pandora, and Assassin's Creed Mirage were all at one time or another, expected to ship by the end of last year. The company is now projecting a roughly $537 million loss for the fiscal year ending in March 2023. Though the CEO told investors during today's call that the project has been making great progress and will now launch this spring, it clearly has not made enough to finally ship, coming up on six years after it was first revealed. Three current and former Ubisoft developers who wish to remain anonymous because they were not authorized to speak about company plans, recently told Kotaku that they had been already seeing cuts by way fewer of backfills for recently departed colleagues and fewer contracts getting renewed for those working on a temporary basis. They also said there were layoffs across some of Ubisoft's U.S. locations last fall, including its San Francisco office. A spokesperson for Ubisoft said that only 27 positions were eliminated as part of the restructuring, and we'll keep following that story as it unfolds. However, Kevin Williamson has teased for a long, long time that Scream 6 would give fans what they deserve. 
In fact, Williamson said, quote, he's absolutely floored with how well it turned out. Quote, it doesn't feel like part six. It feels like you're watching this big, huge, fresh reinvention. Williamson told this to Sci-Fi Wire during a larger discussion about his COVID-19 horror flick, Sick, streaming on Peacock tomorrow. He said, quote, I love, 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 love it. I've watched the movie with a big smile on my face. I think it's everything and more. And going to New York was awesome. The movie feels new. It feels fresh. It feels like a new movie. And Scream 6 heads for the Big Apple on Friday, March 10th. And we are still currently awaiting the full trailer, but I'm sure that in the coming weeks, we will get everything that we've wished for. And that concludes this week's news update. Have you checked out our YouTube channel yet? That's where we upload video reviews of the latest TV shows and movies, stream gaming content on occasion, and recently, we've started doing in-depth video essay analysis. We have a goal to reach 1,000 subscribers by the end of the year, and we need your help to get there. We'd like to celebrate by doing something special for all of our subscribers if we hit this goal. And we'll rely on you to help decide what we end up doing. To find us, simply search at the Borough Media on YouTube. Make sure to not only subscribe if you like the content, but to give the video a like and ring the bell to make sure you receive notifications when we upload or go live. TBR Media is your movie refuge. All right, everyone, Ren is joining me for this portion of the podcast because we got to talk about the Golden Globes. You and me watched them uh, this past week on Tuesday. It went way longer than it should have. <laughs> they, um, I'm sure we'll get into it, but the format was a little strange. It usually is with the Globes, from what I can remember, um, but it just felt even worse this time around, and I don't know if it's just because we're getting fatigue with these award shows. I mean, their viewership, I haven't checked on, but we can discuss that uh, as well. But, you know, every year these things get less and less viewers, and I have to imagine it's because of the shenanigans. <laughs> um, this year, it wasn't nearly as messy um, with the host. Like, it, I mean, there were a couple of jabs, but it wasn't like Ricky Gervais level like fuckery. Like, and uh, and so like, I, I wanted to get your opinion on the show overall before we dive into the awards and what it means for the Academy Awards uh, in March. So, what did you think of the show? I thought it was bad. Yeah? Elaborate, please. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, that's it. That's all I have. Um, I really liked the host, so that was something I was into. Um, I love the pianist. Wow. The pianist was a nice touch. She was fantastic. Incredible. Um, and like he said, we'd get into it, but the show format really, really freaking ended my career. Just <laughs> Did it? Yeah. I, I'm officially over it. I don't want to watch any more award shows after that. Yeah. Um, so I have it pulled up here. The telecast averaged 6.25 million viewers down 10% from 6.91 million for the last televised ceremony in 2021. Um, 
yeah, last year's awards weren't broadcast as NBC opted not to air them due to the controversy surrounding the Hollywood Foreign Press Association or the HFPA. Uh, the 2021 show was a remote production. I forgot about that with Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. Uh, so yeah, you know, we just keep sinking in viewership year after year. And I, and I don't know if it's because people just aren't, they don't care enough and they would rather just read the recap and look on Twitter to see all the like speeches and stuff in short form content rather than sitting down to watch the full three hour long show. Why is it three hours? I, I get why. It's, you know, it's supposed to be kind of this celebration. It's supposed to be a show in itself, which is why you have host. You know, it it's just supposed to be something to tune into, to watch. It's supposed to be a spectacle. I don't feel like it was a spectacle this year. There were a couple of really, really good moments and moments that we should celebrate. And I'm sure we'll talk about them with the nominations. Um, but other than that, like, there's really no reason to tune in to the Globes. Um, so I don't know. Why don't we just get into the nominations? We'll kind of break them all down, except for, uh, the anthologies we might not cover as much, but, um, we started off the night with best, best performance by an actor in a supporting role for a musical or comedy. Um, and this was TV. So Tyler James Williams for Abbott Elementary, uh, won his first Golden Globe award and it was his first nomination as well. So one for one. Um, that was a pretty cool moment as someone that watched him a lot growing up. Mm -hmm. It was kind of nice to see someone in our sphere, like it, the recognition, the recognition that often goes to the award juggernauts, like, like a Kate Blanchett, like a Colin Farrell, you know, I mean, we still had moments like that in there, of course, but it was nice to see some new blood. You also had Julia Garner for Ozark winning the supporting role in a musical, comedy, or drama TV series. Uh, so that was big. You had Paul Walter Hauser win for Blackbird, which was the only win that Blackbird, I think, had. Um, that's that Taron Egerton show uh, where everyone was freaking out about his, like, basically his ass. <laughs> um, There's that clip where he was just fully naked. Oh, yeah. And everyone was like, ooh. Uh, so that's where that came from. Um, not that that matters. Jennifer Coolidge won for The White Lotus for Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role in a Limited Series. Um, that was, again, the anthology category. And then you also had Evan Peters for Dahmer in the actor section. How do you feel about about those two specific things? I mean, less about the Jennifer Coolidge and more about Evan Peters. He came out, I was expecting kind of like a recognition at the families that were upset about the show itself. And he did none of that. He kept it really short and sweet and just thanked everyone and moved on. At least he didn't do what Jennifer Coolidge did, which was like, there's only like five people in the industry that's booked me with these little jobs. And and it's just Ryan. <laughs> it's just Ryan. It's all Ryan. Which um, isn't the show she got nominated by. Like, what? Yeah. Whatever. I, I get it. But the White Lotus also went on to win the limited anthology or motion picture made for television category. No surprise there. I was kind of happy when it wasn't paired with Better Call Saul for just a best, you know, television series um, category because that would have been tragic. So I thought that maybe Better Call Saul had a chance. Um, it did not. And we'll learn about that later on. You also had Quinta Brunson win for Abbott Elementary for the best performance by an actress in a television series, musical or comedy. Abbott Elementary is a, is sweeping everywhere. 
Emmys, Good all of it. Cinema. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm at the point now where I should really kind of just check that show out because I have not. It's pretty good. And everyone's talking about it. Everyone's raving about it. So it might be the time now to get ahead of that. You had um, Kevin Costner win for best performance by an actor in a television series drama for Yellowstone up against Diego Luna, Bob Odenkirk, and Adam Scott among Jeff Bridges as well. Justice for Bob Odenkirk. Honestly, justice for Bob Odenkirk. Um, and Kevin Costner wasn't even there. <laughs> I know. You know? It was all these things where people are winning. Yeah. And it was like, they're not here to accept the award, though. That happens. That happens, especially with, Glo- especially with the Golden Globes. Yeah, it's not like the Oscars. People yeah. don't pencil that in their schedule. Yeah, right. I mean, if they're especially if they're filming something. You know, they're not... Like, Zendaya wasn't there for her award. She posted on Instagram, <clears throat> though, and her post on Instagram was so cute. Yeah, I'm sure it was. It, but, like, again, like, if you're out filming, like, a Dune and you're out of the country, like, going to the Golden Globes, is it really worth it? Especially, like, when you consider the fact that you were up against The Crown, House of the Dragon, and Ozark, did you really think that you were going to win? But she has become kind of this force to be reckoned with with awards. Um, It seems like the award bodies really just like to give her recognition, which is good, because she's a great actor. Um, Incredible. For best TV series drama, you had House of the Dragon win, which was a shock. I think that was perhaps the most shocking uh, for me out of all the awards <laughs> um, because I, sure, I, I, yeah, Better Call Saul had a great season. The Crown is a critical darling. Everyone loves it. I thought for sure because it was Ozark's last season that they were going to go with Ozark just to kind of give it its last hurrah. With the it awards, was Better Call Saul's last season. It was, but um, <clears throat> but Better Call Saul has won effectively zero of everything. Do you know what I mean? They they like do not have a good record right now for awards. Why though? And so the only hope is that the last half of season six next year at the Emmys like gets its win, um, because if not, like it kind of just came and went. And you know, I'm going to be quite honest about it. I think everyone knows that has seen the show that it's really good. The industry people, um, several of the critics that I watch and I follow and all of the producers and stuff have not watched it as religiously as everyone else. So you had a lot of industry insiders that hadn't checked it out or at least hadn't seen the full like show which made it really hard for it to win any of these awards. Well, and it's pro- that's probably like a critique that they had. They're like, oh, it doesn't even interest the insiders that much. Yeah, I mean, probably, but... I think it's good, and I only watched a few episodes. Yeah. I gave it my best TV show because I just rewatched shows like New Girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had um, Not To Not To uh, win Best Original Song, which is shocking when you're up against like Alexandra Desplat. Taylor Swift, Lady Gaga, Rihanna, you had all of those people, and still, not to not to won over everything else. That was also, like, we had two shockers back-to-back with House of the Dragon and then not to not to because I thought for sure, for sure it was going to Lady Gaga. I really did. I was thinking Rihanna. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense. Like, I, I, I see why you would, but, like, Lady Gaga, the Golden Globes has given her nominations in the past for her past work. So it it just made sense in my mind. But they added 100 new members this year because of all that controversy last year. Absolutely. So they have a new voting body effectively. And 
yeah, we've seen kind of what the upset is. Um, and I think Natu Natu was a great example of that particular, like, caveat. Best original score went to Justin Hurwitz for Babylon. Great track record. I think That was the only option. I think he was four for four on... No, Alexander Desplat uh, for Pinocchio. I also could have seen them giving the award to. I don't think John Williams had a strong enough score in the Fablemans. It just didn't, it didn't stand out enough. Oh, God, it um, didn't do anything. But uh, then best screenplay, you had Martin McDonough for Banshees of Inisherin, And that was quite a surprise. Um, it was, I'm going to be quite honest, it was either Martin McDonough or it, it was Todd Field. One of the two were getting the screenplay nom. Yeah. Those were the favorites. Um, they're just such script-heavy films that almost, like, you have to you have to make sure that your script is solid in order to, you know, make an effective film. And uh, so much of, of those two movies relies on the nuances in the script. Mm. And so that's why it, it was going to be either one of those. Um, I could have seen like the shock be everything everywhere by the Daniels, but that didn't happen. I wish it would have. Yeah. And then for best director, Steven Spielberg for the Fablemans. It's funny because we had made a drunk trivia episode and we had this whole segment on there, which was like, if you're going to lose to anyone, you're going to lose to Spielberg. And I thought for sure it was going to go to Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinhart for everything everywhere. That was where it's deserved. And, the Fablemans is such a garbage movie compared to that. But, but you know, these places, they like to honor big filmmakers. They like to honor historic filmmakers. And that's what happened. I will say, though, if we're basing the movie only, like, I'm, like, you're like, ah, this one moment versus, like, the rock moment and everything everywhere all at once. Like, the moments where he's, like, going through the shots in the Fablemans and he's, like, re- like he's going back and replaying. Those have the same emotional pull for me where I'm, like... Wait a minute. Really? No, I think the I think the rock scene and everything everywhere is so much more emotional than most things I've seen this year. Like that one particular moment, I got I got goosies during Ooh. uh that was the one part of that film I didn't cr- end up crying and everything everywhere I was close. I but did. like that was the one moment that almost like brought me to tears was the rock moment. Um I don't like I've talked to other people and I've like I've also watched other critics and stuff, and they say the same thing about that moment. I don't know what it is about that moment, but it's just so good. Yeah. No, that everything I wrote all at once really came from my mommy issues. But uh, in in a good twist for everything everywhere all at once, uh, Kiwi Kwan yes. won for his best performance by an actor in a supporting role in any motion picture, um, which was really, really... Um, I mean, I think we all predicted it, but it was really nice to see. I was watching a variety roundtable mm. um, today with a, a bunch of the actors, like Adam Sandler was there, Austin Butler, Brendan Fraser, um, Colin Farrell, and then Kiwi Kwan was also a part of that conversation, and everyone loves him. He's such a light, um, and he thought that his career was over. He wasn't getting any film for, like, 20 years. He wasn't booking anything. He didn't have an agent. And then, lo and behold, he gets an agent, and two weeks after after he, like, reaches back out, gets the agent, he books everything everywhere all at once. And here we are. Incredible. And he's on his way to an Oscar. He is. Incredible. I I, I do think that he 110% is going to have an Oscar. 
This year? This year. Um, I do. It's just the cards are stacking up. The four-year consideration campaign surrounding that movie is a juggernaut and a force to be reckoned with. Um, And I think that we're going to get there. Marvel had its first ever, like, huge acting award um, for Angela Bassett in Wakanda Forever. Uh, What a nice moment because the favorite to win that category initially was Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything Everywhere. Um, but I don't think Jamie Lee Curtis had the range in EEAO as uh, Angela Bassett did, even in her limited screen time in Wakanda Forever. So it was really nice to see them actually award acting over yeah. over precedent, like over established historical context, um, and not give it to the easy Academy darling. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that was nice to see. Um, I'm going to be curious to know when the academy award nominations come out if they do run her as um a supporting actress she deserves it uh it'll be it'll be historic if she gets an academy award nomination let alone a win i don't know that she'll get the win but But even just a nomination but a nomination's a big deal for marvel who has kind of lacked behind in a lot of these acting categories obviously they get nominated for visual effects and stuff but oh absolutely very rarely do they get anything i mean like more. angela bassett was just a powerhouse and her speech relate really, like um if you know me i'm not a crier and that one had me just sobbing in our living room yeah yeah i couldn't i couldn't do it i can't <laughs> handle it <laughs> it did um non-english language uh this was another left field kind of choice um, but they awarded Argentina 1985 over RRR and Decision to Leave. Um, even All Quiet on the Western Front. I, I was of the mind that it was either going to be RRR or All Quiet. And it ended up being Argentina 1985, which is kind of surprising. Um, and now that it's won, I might have to go watch it. I also have to catch up on RRR. So <laughs> I've got a lot of foreign language stuff to catch up on from last year. That's okay. It happens to the best of us. <laughs> and then animated picture went to Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. No surprise there. Um, that movie is still in my top 10 of the year. Uh, it's a really solid, like, stop motion picture. Um, it's, you know, Guillermo del Toro even said it. Uh, he, he said something to the effect of, it's not a kid movie, but watch it with your kids. And I think that's so important for that movie specifically. It has so many subtextual layers to it that like i don't know that a kid alone watching that is going to find any enjoyment in it um because it's weird it's zany but it has so many like adult themes in it that kind of carry over and you know most animated films have some level of that yeah but when you consider that it's guillermo guillermo del toro uh he has a little bit more of a darker sensibility than most people and it really comes through in that movie um you haven't seen it well but. like even like the like previews and stuff are giving like the vibes of like the grim brothers like take on like fairy tales mm. which is some of like i like i own the grim like the grim brothers like fairy tale book and it's one of my favorite like was one of my favorite books growing up yeah yeah um colin farrell won for a best performance by an actor in a motion picture musical or comedy for the banshees of Sharon. uh no surprise there i think colin farrell is on his way to an Academy Award. I'm sorry. Justice for the menu. Yeah. Ray Fiennes being nominated. I don't think that we're going to see Ray Fiennes nominated at the Academy this year. Really? I don't think it's happening. Um, you know, the Academy has 
this long history of just not like Tony Collette for Hereditary. We all remember that snub. It was like, where is her acting nomination for that movie? Like for real? Uh, they just don't give any genre love usually. Um, the Academy mm-hmm. is a little bit more conservative when it comes to what it nominates for the most part. So I don't think we're going to see that, but it was nice that he got nominated here. Um, you might see Daniel Craig pop up for Glass Onion at the Academy though. Yeah. Uh, Diego Calva getting a nomination for Babylon was also a big deal. Um, I think he was one of the best parts and you telling me that, yeah, an absolute standout of Babylon. One of the best parts of the movie for sure. But you know, the surefire win for best actress in an emotion picture for musical or comedy was Michelle Yeoh, and it indeed went to Michelle Yeoh. Absolutely. I am a little sad that Anya Taylor-Joy was put up against Michelle Yeoh because, like, oh my goodness, Anya Taylor-Joy in the menu was not to be corny, but a joy to watch. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I hear you. Again, I think I think it's that uh, that genre kind yeah. of flair well, that that and movie I mean, has. Like, I mean, like, and against Michelle Yeoh, like, I wouldn't have picked Anya Taylor-Joy either, but I do, like, I did just absolutely adore her performance in that movie. Yeah. I I mean, I think it's really good. I think that movie as a whole is just One of the best Yeah, it's a joy. Um, The Banshees of Inisherin won Best Motion Picture for Musical or Comedy. I know you didn't see Banshees of Inisherin, but I think it's well-deserved, especially up against... Over everything, everywhere, all at once. Boo. Okay, that, I hear you. Uh, and if if I had had a ballot, I would have gone everything, everywhere. But I don't have a ballot. And <laughs> and that is the only other movie in that category that is on everything, everywhere's caliber. It's yeah. just they're two different types of movies. They're really, really different. Even though they're in the same category, they just, like, Banshees is, oh, it's... It's like dark comedy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And everything is just not that. Like everything is a very wholesome. When I think of like, when I think of like Steven Spielberg films, when I think of like the Goonies, when I think of films like that, that is like the type of film that everything everywhere all at once oh, is. Oh, that is not how that felt for me at Well, all. no, no. I just meant in terms of like when you're looking back on like, I can see in about 30 years looking back on this year and being and still talking about everything everywhere all at once. That's what I mean. Okay. Um, as where Banshees of Sharon, you know, I don't think, not to say that it's a come and go movie. I hate using that phraseology, but like, it's more so like, I don't think that it has the staying power of everything everywhere all at once. Okay. It's not that it's not as powerful of a film. It's just not... It's not everything everywhere all at once. Like, that movie makes you feel things, and Banshees does too, but not on the same caliber, like, yeah. of entertainment as everything everywhere. Okay, That's I what I mean to say. That. Um, best actor in a motion picture drama. This was a big one. Uh, I thought the Academy would, or not the Academy, I thought the HFPA would certainly go for Brendan Fraser for The Whale. They did not. <laughs> they went for Austin Butler and Elvis, which was surprising oh my goodness i just got a notification on my way home that uh lisa presley just died well i know she was hospitalized oh, for she, cardiac arrest yeah she just passed away she passed away yes wow so i'm so sorry i didn't mean to it is a news podcast it so. is it is i was not <laughs> i'm so sorry you were like where is she going with this it was relevant yeah well i mean and oftentimes in the news episodes i don't usually put significant passings i'm just not 
I don't do it. You don't. I well, don't. you don't usually follow people's like personal lives like. Well, that. not even that. But I don't usually. I don't do it for any like director or celebrity. I don't usually put out. A, I might share like an Instagram story or mm-hmm. something, but I don't usually put it in the mainline show. Um, Betty White deserved one. Yeah, and I didn't even do it for that. So you see, um, but uh, well, that's really sad because Austin Butler was just talking about her on the podcast uh, or on the Variety Roundtable that I was watching. Oh, really? Yeah, he was talking about like working with her like for that movie particularly and how like impactful it was and how he was going to hold it for the rest of his life. Um, so that's kind of sad, but Austin Butler ended up winning for best performance by an actor. Um, Kate Blanchett won for tar in the drama category or is anyone surprised? I don't think so. I don't think any of us are surprised at all about it. I know you certainly aren't. You haven't watched Tar. Do you have any inclination after like, all the award buzz, all the critic buzz to watch Tar? Like, do you want to watch Tar? No, because I just think that she's a bad person. The the character, oh, not the actress. I, I am you. so How do you sorry. even know? You don't know. You, don't, you haven't seen it. Listen, from what you've told me, and, like, also, like, um, as, like, a fellow, like, musician and, like, I write music, there's just some people that, like, you know write music that are, like, get their head way too inflated and they're just bad people. <laughs> It's the same way, like, I feel like that's in every creative field, like, where people just switch to being a bad person. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I think that movie has a sensibility about it, though, even though she's not, she's certainly not, she's kind of the antagonist of her own story, which is the whole point of the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is some definite, like, subtextual layers that are really, really important to explore for all artists. Um, We cover it in our video essay analysis that is on our YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Small plug there if you haven't. Go watch that. It's an incredible breakdown of Tar and kind of what that movie represents. Um, but I think Tar is a type of movie. Tar's very much a heady movie. It's meant to be discussed. And it's meant to be discuss- discussed at length. I'm talking not even like a 10-minute review. That movie, we could have a whole like six-part episode, episodic podcast on it. That's yeah. the type of movie oh. it is. It it's there's so much going on with everything in that movie. I could talk about it for days. Anyway, um, Kate Blanchett won. No surprise. She's on her way to her nineteenth Oscar. You know, um, the Fablemans won for best motion picture drama. That was again one of the worst moments of my entire life. See, I I was of the mind that Tar or Elvis was going to get it. I was um, rooting for Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> yeah, and that would have been a really nice surprise. It would have been. The fact that it was nominated means something. Yes. It will get an Oscar nomination. It should. And, and It doesn't need to win it, just the nomination. And, I was really and, glad it wasn't frankly, Avatar. And frankly, all of these right here we're likely going to see in the best picture running. I don't think um, Elvis should be, but I also haven't seen Elvis. See, I don't think Avatar should be. I, I also agree with that um i think elvis over avatar just for the simple fact of everything that that movie represented Mm -hmm. for historical context but also just for for the work that was put into that production i you know regardless of my feelings of the overall movie i think it was more of a movie than avatar was oh um (laughs) i mean like it's very pointed that like avatar almost always gets like the score nominations and it's very pointed that they don't have one yeah. Because that score was garbage. Yeah, it wasn't as memorable as the trailers made it out to be, for sure. 
Um, something that we didn't talk about, we talked about it when the nominations released, but Olivia Coleman was nominated for Empire of Light. Um, you also had Blonde nominated for the act, Best Actress uh, in a Motion Picture Drama. Uh, those are two movies that aren't probably going to show up again. Mm-hmm. Um, Empire of Light, I know it kind of had some level of campaign behind it with, uh, I think that's a Searchlight film. I, I could be mistaken. But if it is a Searchlight film, they've been, they've definitely been marketing, marketing it as a four-year consideration for awards, but it has not picked up the steam that that even The Woman King has. And The Woman King is another one where I'm expecting a Best Picture nom for the Academy. Mm-hmm. I think the I think the Woman King here did not have a very strong it showing at the HFPA, uh, but I think the Academy is completely different than the HFPA and the Golden Globes, and we will see the Woman King get more nominations at the Oscars. I think that like something that like I see when I look at like the best performance by an actress in a motion picture drama is like other than like no offense to everyone else that's in that category, but other than like Viola Davis, Kate Blanchett didn't have a lot of competition for that. No, but I think even if she, well, that's not entirely true. Michelle Williams no. is a favorite. I know that uh, I, I, and I'm with you. <laughs> I hear you. It, there's a very particular role that Michelle Williams can play that she can be really good in and excel. Um, and then there are other performances that just are, for me, they don't hit with Michelle Williams. So I totally hear you. But what I'm saying is the Academy loves Michelle Williams. Everyone in the industry loves Michelle Williams. I think she's probably a fantastic person and I love her in The Greatest Showman. So actually, the only outsider here, if we're talking from an Academy perspective for the Oscars, the only one that's kind of an outsider to that is Ana de Armas. Everyone else has certainly had their share Mm. of Academy Award nominations um and wins i you know i can't think off the top of my head i'm I'm not even just thinking about like their overall wins career like or careers or anything i'm thinking about like the performances that they put in these movies i'm like eh like kate blanchett was acting like her life depended on it yeah she was she said this is like she was acting like if she didn't ace this role she was about to die yeah no and i mean like i think that movie alone is worth the price of admission just for Kate Blanchett being completely unhinged. <laughs> uh, I think, like, because really, like, she, there's so much, there are pages and pages and pages of dialogue for Kate Blanchett. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a script heavy movie. It's all talking, all of it. I love talking. And, like, and it, 90% of it, there is not a scene in that movie without Kate Blanchett. Like, it, that movie rests on her shoulders. And without her being able to pull that off, you don't have a good movie, um, regardless of if the script's good. So, she definitely deserves it. I think, yeah, th- there might it might not have been like as strong of a category. We'll see what the Academy yeah. Awards ends up doing for their nominations. But really, like, take Kate Blanchett out of it, and it, it's a pretty even like competition. Yeah. Um. So I think there's just no reality that exists where Kate Blanchett doesn't get the Oscar. Absolutely. I, I, I just don't. But, I can hear you on that. But you, you, you also won't have the separation between drama and musical or comedy. So what's going to happen here is you're going to have probably Kate Blanchett. You're probably going to have um, Michelle Yeoh. You're probably going to have Emma Thompson. Um, and you're going to have you're going to have a higher caliber, a higher standard of people being nominated mm-hmm. at the Academy because there aren't two separate categories. 
So it's going Michelle to make it... Michelle Yeoh against Kate Blanchett. I know. I can't... I'll get a stomach ulcer. I know. <laughs> um, but I think... I do, even... I love Michelle Yeoh. Sorry. Like, it, it's Kate Blanchett's award. No, like, it not. is. No, it is. No, it's not. No, it is. No, I, I like Michelle Yeoh as, the ne- as much as the next guy. But it, it's just... It's it's not even, like, comparable. Maybe Kate Blanchett didn't have to act because that's just how she is. Plot twist. <laughs> I don't think She's so. She's just unhinged. Did you, did you watch her, uh, you didn't, you don't watch Hot Ones usually without me, but she was on Hot Ones, and she's just the funniest, sweetest person ever. No, I, I love Kate She's absolutely Blanchett. unhinged, and that's why she's gonna get the Oscar. I want to see Michelle Yeoh on Hot Ones, though. Where's that episode? Actually, yeah. No, because, like, Kate Blanchett's a sweet person. No. Michelle Yeoh, as a person, way more entertaining. Oh, Michelle. Way more entertaining. Michelle Yeoh to them. Her. You can turn down the music. I'm going to finish. <laughs> oh, dude. Me? You were, tell them. Were there any other, like, moments from the show that were, like, kind of shocking? I don't think so. No, wait. Um, oh, uh, the, the I sat down with Kanye, and we watched The Fablemans. Yeah. And he gets it down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dude, and Spielberg played that so well. Like, it, the camera went over to him, and he was, like, playing along with the joke, which was cool to see. Um Especially with what the Fablemans is about, like literally hilarious. Um, <laughs> that was way too good. There was also the like the videos going around of Millie Alcock like resting on Emma Darcy uh, mm-hmm. because she was like, I think she was just drunk out of her mind. Everybody was just drunk. They said. well, that that's that's the Golden Globes for you. They it's said not the Academy. They're like, by the time we got here, the food was gone. Like. How much budget does the Golden Globes have, and why is the food no, gone? No, this is a thing every year, uh, and and once you watch, you know, these for a few years, like you'll you'll get the hang of it. The Golden Globes is the joke of the awards. Everyone goes there to drink and talk. No one cares about, which is why you know when we would come back from commercial break, the host had such a hard hard time like getting everyone to like shut shut up. <laughs> the host, can you guys shut up? Me? Yeah, that's what you do. Yeah. Um, I absolutely adored that host. He was so funny. People didn't seem to receive him as well as I did, though. Yeah. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. Um, Hysterical. Yeah, Gerard Carmichael. Yeah, I I think that... I think that he was... I think he was really good. I think he was really... um, He had kind of a dry sense of humor, which is not usually what the Globes, like, is used to. Like, I'm used to, like, a Ricky Gervais who's just totally who is that totally bonkers unhinged you would know if i should if i showed you some clips and i will after we record this but um yeah that's kind of our like thoughts on the golden globes no wait i have another thought oh yeah go ahead um i, I would just like to bring it up um his 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 it's him the director that got his um the award uh which director? The award. Yeah, there are a lot of awards. I'm pretty sure Billy presented it. I don't know what you're talking about. The directed Pose and Glee. Oh, oh, Ryan Murphy, the showrunner? Yeah. Yeah. That. His speech. Yeah. Chef's they kiss. also presented uh, Eddie Murphy with an award, which was really nice to see. Uh, Eddie Murphy... Definitely, like, one of my favorite comedians, so it was good to see him get his recognition. I also found out that um, Bob Odenkirk started in comedy, if you didn't know, um, and the only person that gave Bob Odenkirk his moment was Quinta Brunson. Yeah. Yeah, one actor, one comedic actor to another. 
Uh, Quinta was like, you're the reason that I'm doing what I'm doing. And I was like, that probably means so much to him as he has not won an award and has been snub, 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 snub over and over again. It's so, like, sad because I keep sending you clips, like, on Twitter, like, just small snippets of the show that you didn't watch fully. And, like, you know, every time you're like, wow, like, this is amazing. No, I almost would watch it. Like, this, like... It feels very much like an equivalent, your, like, Better Call Saul is your new girl. Yeah, although, like, it's it's not as, like, you can't put it in the same category as that because new girl is, like, endlessly bingeable, and I don't think Better Call Saul no, is. No, I think it's, like, the comfort that it provides, oh, like, that pro- feeling. Yeah, maybe. More that, no, absolutely. Better Call Saul is so fucking heavy, you could never, you could never binge it the way that you do new girl. No, it's so <laughs> slow and meditative sometimes that, you know, you have lingering shots of the desert for extended periods of time. And like, you know what I mean? It, it just establishes it very well. It's not as snappy, but yeah. If, if you can't tell, um, we think that Bob Odenkirk and Better Call Saul should have gotten some Golden Globes this year. Absolutely. Every year. Every year from now on, I want to hear, no- they better be present. They better give Bob Odenkirk some like trailblazer awards or something, you know, like, cause really he is. Mm. Uh, anyway, that is, uh, the end of our Golden Globes assessment. Uh, what do we think of the Oscars? When those nominations release, you best bet we will be back here talking about the 90th Academy Award nominations and what it means for the ceremony and who we think will win. So stay tuned for that. I know at this point, you've heard a lot about our website, theboroughmedia.com, but I wanted to share some of the content you can expect from us in case you missed it. On our site, you'll find podcasts, movie reviews, opinion articles, and more content covering all types of cinema. If you're looking for a review on your latest project, we've got you covered. Simply search theboroughmedia.com in your website browser and you'll find us. As a company residing in Nebraska, we know how hard it can be to get your message out to the world and we want to help. Find our contact page on our website and fill out the form. You'll also find a list of submission guidelines on the page. Not every submission will be accepted, mainly due to time restrictions, but we welcome all types of motion pictures. So what are you waiting for? Head over to the site now and check it out. TVR Media is your movie refuge. And I'm sure you're all dying to know what exactly should be on your radar for this weekend. And let me tell you, there's quite a few things. There isn't as much as there is some weeks. However, I think there is plenty to watch over the weekend. So be sure to listen for this, and we are going to dive into it right now. So for TV, of course, we have HBO's The Last of Us. Adapted from the wildly popular video game series, HBO's next big sci-fi gamble has a promising team, including stars Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey, as well as Neil Druckmann, the man behind the game. And, of course, this releases on HBO January 15th, so be sure to keep an eye out for that. And for those fans uh, who are horror cinephiles, we have a directorial debut from Kyle Edward Ball, who captivated the internet and now the experimental horror film, which eschews narrative in favor of attempting to evoke the feelings of being a kid whose familiar home has been turned into something menacing and strange by night, is hitting theaters on January 13th. And of course, that movie is called Skinamarink. And for video games, we have One Piece Odyssey releasing on January 13th for PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and PC. 
So as I mentioned previously, there's not too much in terms of things to actually watch for bulk, but I'm sure you can hit that Netflix subscription, hit that Amazon Prime subscription, and find something new that you've never seen before. Of course, the menu is now streaming, so if you haven't seen the menu, I highly recommend you do so. Um, Otherwise, you have a little indie horror film in select theaters And like I said, you have obviously The Last of Us on HBO. For those of us who played the games, uh, this is kind of revolutionary, and the reviews have certainly been positive coming out of the premiere, so I can't wait to see how all that shakes up this weekend. I'm certainly going to be watching, and I hope you are too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Into the Burrow podcast. I know we didn't have any box office projection for you this week. Something that we didn't mention, Titanic is getting a re-release, so uh, stay tuned for more information on that. I'll be curious to see what the projections are for the box office that opening weekend, uh, how many people are going to come back out for that. Never doubt James Cameron. That's a conversation that me and Ren had uh, when talking about the Avatar 2 box office, and clearly, you know, it's inching, it's in the top seven, you know, highest grossing films of all time, it's uh, inching its way towards a top five spot, and if it makes the top five spot, that means James Cameron alone has three movies in the top five biggest box office hits of all time. It's a pretty big deal, uh, but make sure that you subscribe if you haven't already. You can find us on all major podcast platforms. Uh, you can just search Into the Borough Podcast and it should come up everywhere. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure if you like the show that you subscribe to our feed on Spotify specifically for exclusive podcast episodes every month. We also have our Patreon available at patreon.com slash Media if you want to support us more. Thank you for listening and we will see you in the next show. Bye-bye.